I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter, and I realize a lot of people in my personal life listen to this podcast, so I'm just, I just run hip-hop by the numbers on Twitter. I didn't do anything else. Gang, gang. And I am director of the Fifth Element, where I highlight Fifth Element hip-hop, which is knowledge. Digging in the digits, be the pod. Yeah. happy doing the exams right now because uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting four this is an interesting four we've picked this week yeah um uh, i can't i can't wait to get into it it really is literally very all over the place which i kind of like i, I like the variety that we have right now um so i guarantee you you guys have listened to at least like maybe one of these albums and the rest you haven't i'm Bleach gonna stick yeah. my neck out. I would maybe have listened to maybe just one. I would agree. I think yeah, I definitely think so. This is, I think yeah, yeah, I fully agree. Because if you if you've listened to one of the, one of them, I you just don't, it don't you don't fit with the other three, so to speak. Yeah. If that makes any sense, in some way, but maybe two. I, I'd, I'd I'd say two, but I'd say for most of you, you've probably only spun one of these albums properly. And the th- the other three you need to get on, guarantee it. But anyway, we'll see how that goes. Let us know if if we're right. Hi Ben, how's your week been? What have you been to this week? Well, firstly, it's always confronting when you uh you talk to someone in your personal. That's why I started the way I did because then they're like, "Hey, what was with that that intro the other day?" I'm like, "Oh shit, you actually listen to the podcast." So people actually listen to this podcast. I keep forgetting that sometimes. I have to. Uh, <laughs> Remind myself that my sense of humor doesn't always translate across uh, across friendship groups. But anyway, uh-huh. so I listened to um, <laughs> Slime Language 2. Slime Language 2, man. So despite how rare it actually should be, compilations album, albums like this are actually being cohesive. I find it to be quite common. Like I was literally listening to Black Panther soundtrack uh, yesterday and it was just so seamless. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's actually quite a lot of pressure on labels to get releases like this right. You would think that it's it's not that big of a deal. You just throw everyone on there. It doesn't have to be what it is, man. When you have artists like, for example, Static Selector dropping fire pretty much every other month in this format. So you do have to get it right. And I think they did a really good job here because I think too often compilation albums can really falter when they try to give spotlight to the artist with a little less aptitude than the stars. In this case, on this record, Young Thug, Gunner, and Lil Key, not to mention, obviously, the features, which is an incredible. But I think they got the mix really, really well on this. So 66.8% of the lyrics come from YSL artists. Uh, Thugger delivers 18.8%, Gunner 8.6%. So they do do the heavy lifting, but... They introduced Travis Scott and Drake early in the track list, which is good. The album never seems to drag... I thought the beats were a little bit lower quality than I was expecting, but overall, it's really hard to fault this record. You know, a lot of people are saying album of the year. It's not album of the year, but it's going to do 141K or 140K projected. So it, it will probably do, I reckon it'll do 125. But that if it did 140K, that's more than any YSL artist has ever done. Young Thug did 131 with uh, so much fun. So that's crazy. So, um,. Yeah, man, it's a decent, it's it's a really good project. Uh, Conway the Machine dropped his new project, Conway the Machine. 
Uh, So there's a song in here where Conway, he continues to kind of barrel away with his trademark flow that that he always does. But all of a sudden, he switches into double time, and it's really jarring. He's almost perfectly on beat, right? But he's just a little bit off, just a touch off. And I think it really exemplifies Conway over the past 12 months because I can't put him in the top five conversation right now because of the way he sounds in that double time flow on that song. He just, he didn't sound natural and he's clearly trying to switch things up and diversify his technique in sound. But to be 100% honest, he doesn't need to. You know, I don't think it matters if he uses the same flow for the rest of his career. It's his content. It's his content that blooms. He, you know, his technical diversity comes with the variety of beats he's rapping on. And this is a thing that people forget about. Like, I don't necessarily think it's a bad idea to have the same flow for your whole career, as long as you're rapping on diverse instrumentals, you know? So on this project, we've got Alchemist, Bangladesh, Cardiac, Q Beats, Murder Beats, then we get Derringer, Don Cannon, that's a lot of variety. If Conway can keep his artistic integrity on those beats, he's won, and he does, and he's won. So he wins again, you know, he just he doesn't lose this guy, He he's... Probably my least favorite of the trio, but I really love everything he's putting out right now. He just he just does not miss. It's so consistent. It's crazy. He put out a project like a few months ago that was great, and a few months before that was great, and a few months. How does he keep doing that? I don't know, but I'm very thankful for it. So it's a really good project. Uh, Kenny Mason, Angelic Hood Rat, Supercut. So I can fully subscribe to the Kenny Mason is next up narrative. You know, his adaptability is something I don't think people highlight enough. To go from uh, re to A+, plus, that, that, that transition is not easy. His monotone, like train track delivery, and then something so melodic, but also he uses his cadence to slip in and out of the beat. The way he annihilated Pup, which is basically just a power rock song, is just crazy. And then he ends up at Forever a few songs later, which is super lo-fi. And he links them all up in a coherent fashion. Like, that's that's special, man. I really hope that he continues to grow because he's very, very gifted. Uh, Yellow Wolf and DJ Paul, for Mafia. I thought this was a letdown after his project with Riff Raff. I think it was last week or the week before. He just sounded a bit tired on this Yellow Wolf. I, I expected him to bounce back with something even better here, but... This just feels like B-sides of that project. Uh, it's still good, but he, I don't think he really sold it on this. And I was talking to some people, and uh, obviously Royce and Yellow Wolf had a disagreement, a pretty intense disagreement. It, it got very, very intense. The last thing Royce said about the whole thing was that they'd spoken about it, and he wishes him the best, and it's over. So, you know, I, I fully... I'm not here for the rumors. I don't want to speculate on that, whatever. We don't know the details of what happened there, but everyone's just throwing wild accusations around. I don't know, man, Royce, Royce, and they've pieced it up. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. Another one who, yeah, Talib Kweli and Diamond D, I, don't, I can't really speak on what Talib Kweli is doing on social media, man. He's been banned from Twitter and everything. But um, this was a good project. Uh... Uh, he's raw and truthful on this project. You know, there's there's no topic removed from his vocabulary. He really goes in on a lot of these songs. Um, I don't know, man. I, I don't know what to say about that either. Like, I feel uncomfortable talking about it, but the project is decent. Quando Rondo, still taking risks. 
So he slid this out after his interview with Angela Yee, and I really enjoyed this project. Standard time signature and vocals, they kind of like fall over themselves, but the content is is great. It's uh, it's definitely a deeper listen than what you're probably used to. There's a lot of pain on here. There's a lot of ego. There's a lot of power and control, but also a lot of emotion. And finally, La Lion Bleed, who I interviewed last week, and hopefully we'll get that interview up soon. This is a really heartfelt drop. I think he continues to step backwards and into his rock band roots. It kind of feels like his go-to position at the moment. He actually produces everything at home in his studio, mixes and masters himself. Like the the production values on this is crazy. It's really amazing considering that he actually also plays instruments on a lot of his work as well. So if you like strange music, you'll like the Lion because it's definitely in that it's in that vibe it's definitely in that vibe so shout out to the line and thank you for coming on see that was me charlie what about yourself it's interesting how you call the uh the slime language a uh uh what is a compilation album and not a collaborative album interesting um uh, yeah <clears throat> i don't know what the i mean i would call it that because it's a label thing uh i don't know what the the, the delineation between those two would really be yeah because all albums are collaborative in some way. <laughs> it's just true. It's just true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'll start off with a XV Soil a oh. little EP three pack. Oh, uh, I missed that. I, Damn. I, fuck. I, I, I will. I, I, I just want to. I, I don't want to say like. I don't want to just move on. Uh, just for just just for the fact, like I, I do like this three packs. Very good. Very solid three pack compared to the others he's done in the past couple of years. Uh, it is really good. Worth a listen. But it is 10 years anniversary for his mixtape Zero Hero. is one of my favorite mixtapes of all time. And uh, he did say that he's p- trying to get Zero Heroes and Popular Culture on streaming. If Wichita is on streaming, I, w- that I will crater my fucking phone with the amount of times I replay that track. Um, so, shout out to XV in general. Uh, Jesse Markeen, uh, Exodus EP... Um, I asked Ben to listen to this um, just because I felt like there was a, <coughs> a, a a comparison that I could possibly just glean from this, and Ben was Ben came up with mm. nothing. So thanks for that, Ben. Sorry um, about that. But it is it is a really fascinating EP, um, and I'm sure Ben will agree. Like the it starts off with like this track, and I I will admit I only listened to this uh, because Akunari was on the on the feature for the first track. Um, but I came for Kunara and I stayed for Jesse Marquine, I guess. But um, past the, yeah, the first tracks are very like uh, R&B-ish, uh, but the, the other tracks come into this like alternative, uh, really like rock-rooted um, with other other elements towards it. And yeah, it's just a very a very eclectic performance, I will say that. Um, so yeah, man, really, really, really interesting listen. Did not expect that at all. Um, I didn't go with any expectations, honestly. But uh, yeah, it was it was it was a, it was a delightful, uh, refreshing difference to what I usually listen to. I'll say that. Uh, Gotham, Talib Kweli, Diamond D. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't <laughs> he's still harassing her, man. Like, it's, is he? It's, Jesus Christ. Yeah, bro. Like, oh, he's he's not right. even. Like, I saw like an update from her like recently. Uh, somebody quote tweeted her like a tweet thread she had. Oh, I thought like, that was old. Still. Yeah, oh. I was like, fuck, still going. And yeah, I can't get past that, to be completely oh, honest. Um, the project is decent. I will say from Talib's side, uh, he seems very very chesty. Like, there's a few tracks where he's just like really like just uh, going at the game, so to speak. 
which I don't mind. Uh, but shout out to Diamond D because uh, man, his production is so underrated. Like, so underrated. Yeah, the real. drums on the his drum packs are so clean, so crispy. Um, ah, yes, yeah, so nice. And the the little uh, you know guitar riffs he has in 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 some of those tracks, bang, just adds so much more, s- such good flavors to it. I love his production. Super underrated. Um, female All Stars and JME, what you call this? Um, so. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna shout out the names of the female all stars just to just to you know cover all bases because I feel like you know it's necessary. Just saying female all stars is kind of a you know one thing, but uh, it's Lady Shocker, Miz, uh, Frankie, Stay Woke, and Nine Eye, um, and also Jamie obviously. But Jamie comes through the you know it's three tracks, a free pack, and uh, he's only there for the for the hooks um, and all the lyrics, uh, all, all the all the uh, the verses are from uh, are from the ladies. And um, yeah, they just go off, man. They go off like it's super grimy, just a full-on uh, free tracks of just pure grime. Uh, they just bar it. They just yeah, they, they they just kill it. They just kill it absolutely. Barrage of lyrics, love it, love it, love it. Uh, Conway in the machine like Maquina. Um, it's 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 a it's a there's a mainstream vibe to this um, in terms of production especially like it's not it's, this isn't the you know traditional neo boom bap that you usually get with the Griselda guys and you know what I'm into it I'm mm. I'm not I'm 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 actually quite into this I I feel like um for me personally I I find this super replayable um I I I enjoy the overall vibe of it uh there are several uh tracks I think uh, like KD uh, Clarity's good. Uh, Scatterbrain. Oh. Ludacris did not have to go that hard. Oh. Ludacris did Neither not have did to JID do that. Though. Oh my god. They did not they have went. to do that. Oh, that was like disgusting. Crazy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Ludacris is a billionaire. He just walks in the studio and just <laughs> spits hot fire and burns the whole earth to ash. <laughs> Luda does not have to do this anymore, bro. Like he doesn't have to do this anymore. It's not necessary. Like we Fuck <laughs> hell. He just comes through. He's like you know what? Let me just let me draw a quick sixteen on you, just to <laughs> just to let you guys know what what I'm still about and always have Holy been about. Fucking like, let me just let me just pop off these Luda Luda bars right quick. Uh, <laughs> fucking uh. Uh, you so thirsty, you drinking, uh, you drinking poison, nigga. You ain't gangster. Stop kidding around. Bring the toys, and nigga. Lose your daddy. You should be happy. I'm giving you playtime, but none of you rappers can see me. Not if I was to pick up on FaceTime. <laughs> You're wasting time hating on another on, on another nigga when you could be making your money yourself, ho. Featherweights, I make them levitate. Get spanked with a heavyweight belt, ho. <laughs> Creed to tell a throw in the tower. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Like Rick James, have a coke and a smile. <laughs> Fuck your couch and your whole existence. Oh, you leaving your family and the kids' defenses. Oh. Oh, it's so it's so it's so it's. Oh, and the, and the last bit. Yeah, I always right. knew you were a bitch, so I just read your obituary. Ah! Oh. I swear someone said that before, bitch and obituary. But I just love that. I just love those two rhymes. It's so great. And uh, yeah, man, that's that just that was disgusting. Um, and yeah, I, I just I just enjoyed the whole thing. And uh, shout out to the last track, uh, which is obviously the Griselda, uh, the the uh, uh, what's the word, um, obligatory Griselda track. And uh, appreciate you guys putting uh, uh, Westside oh, on the last uh, verse, so I can no, swiftly uh, skip got, that shit. Nah, you you are way out. Of the, I'm gonna start calling you up on this every time because he is on fire, and you are just hating. I just don't get it. <laughs> 
every time he drops it's I wild. knew that would trigger you. Oh shit. <laughs> I triggered you bad. That was so Bro. funny. I knew that. As soon as I as soon as I caught that track, I was like, you know what I'm gonna say. <laughs> Uh, I had that plan since fucking Friday. I knew you was... did, man. You know his shit it hurts me <laughs> in my soul. I love him so much, and you're just like. Oh. Soon as that Betty verse, I was like, "Cheers, thank you, bro." For you didn't even listen. It's fucking fire. He's wild. <laughs> oh right, and I finished off with uh, AJ Tracy's flu oh, game. Yeah, this was this was good. Um, did did you clock the bringing it back? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You clock that, you clock that, two first, two three. Um, yeah, so um I'm I'm fifty fifty on it. Um I feel uh, it's interesting because like so the things I thought I wouldn't like about it, uh notably the features I thought. I thought the feature list was very, very um it could have gone either way What's for me. Nav doing on um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was the first one. I was just like, mm, okay, don't know about Nav. Don't know about T Pain, not sure about this guys. Yeah, you know I mean Kelani as well. I was a bit mm, okay. Right, I'll see. I'll see how it goes. So you know, I went. I went. I tried to go into this very open-minded, and f- honestly, like th- the top. The t- actually, honestly, um, the nav feature was not bad. Obviously, it was yeah. only the hook. Um, it actually went quite well. I did not mind it. it wasn't oh, EOS had a verse actually. Um, but yeah, it wasn't too against that track. I actually really enjoyed that one. Um, it's just when it gets to like you know the the, I don't know what you want to call it, but just like the more uh uh the more for the ladies kind of a you know for the mm-hmm. for uh, uh tracks right you know it's kind of like the middle of the album uh from like i think cherry blossom onwards uh yeah th- or, or a little more love onwards actually yeah uh, i think it's like from there to coop uh with kalani yeah coop i was not into coop that hard to be honest uh, I, I was i was a bit uh, there was one there was one line that you had in there that really just, uh, I think in the in the uh, uh, the hook that just really put me off. I think it was like uh, I really want to get I want to get it right just to get it right quick. But and, uh, but yeah, uh, I like the end of I like the end of the album. I like the start of the album. The middle of the album, mm, I I appreciate the I appreciate the effort. I appreciate the you know the uh, uh, the attempt to do something different because obviously the stuff like bringing it back. Um, and the last, especially the last two tracks were right in AJ mm-hmm. Tracy's wheelhouse, especially that throwback vibe that he loves to do, you know, bringing Garage back in that fashion. Love that stuff. But, um, yeah, the middle stuff, it, it could have been better. Yeah, here we go. Saying you love me, then show me you do. I got something in my trackies and it's only for you. Um, not my steez. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. This is, and the way he says it as well, it's just very weird. Uh, it just, uh, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't, it leaves a bit of a bad taste in my mouth, to be honest. And also, Top Dog. I was like, I'm the doggy dog. I'm the doggy doggy. I'm the top dog. Nah, nah, not not feeling it. Not really feeling that. Um, so, yeah, middle, middle it's, it's one of those albums, like, you know, the bookends, absolutely bang. Uh, but the middle just, it, it goes to a place where he's trying to, you know, push out a bit and i appreciate that but um yes just for me personally not really into it uh but yeah you know still i still like what four tracks out of the 16 so you know still a success in my mind so shout out to yeah shout out to aj tracy solid album and with that said we hop into our topic of this episode uh volume two of contemporary cool uh if you guys don't know haven't peeped the volume one uh go peep that uh, a few uh, 
I don't know, <laughs> two months ago or something like that. Uh, definitely, definitely uh, like January, I think. Anyway, you'll find it. Just type a contemporary call. And uh, yeah, so but if you guys don't know what contemporary call is, so we all we both pick two albums each uh, from the past, uh, from 2010 onwards, and uh, we just talk about them in a certain angle uh, in terms of just like has it, you know improved or you know is it super underrated that we just like totally forgot about or just uh you know just whatever whatever angle we feel like and uh like like we said at the start we have a very eclectic mix for this one and i i think that's kind of what is good about this particular um edition of show uh, edition uh we have uh for this show so uh who, who started last last time i think you started last time didn't you, you started off with lupe didn't you so uh so i'll begin and who which 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 should we go for first? <sighs> Let me go with uh, let's do the Nas and Damien Marley. So Nas, Damien Marley, uh, distant relatives, which dropped in twenty ten. Both my albums are in twenty ten, by the way. Um, and yeah, the reason uh, why I picked this partly because I wanted to just know, well, uh, <clears throat> partly because I just wanted to bend thoughts on the album in general. But um, I just find this album so unique in a lot of ways. I feel like in this decade, the decade that we're, this, that we're in right now, I feel like there's going to be more and more albums of this nature. As the music industry, you know, grows, quote unquote, uh, for better or worse, and especially has you know as we all become more globalized in how you know we use social media every day, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, and stuff like that. I feel like this album is a blueprint uh, to a lot of potential albums that, that I feel are going to come soon. Like you, you're starting to see, um, <clears throat> like even with uh, you know the flu, Age of Tracy's flu game. Like a couple of years ago, um, Age of Tracy is not working with Nev. He's he is not working with Kalani. Um, JID recently posted uh, uh, Dave. Uh, him and Dave were in the studio together. That wouldn't have happened even two years ago. Um, and that's just UK and US, right? That those are those are two connections that I feel like obviously very easy to make. Um, and obviously you can name many other UK to US uh, connections, uh, but. For something like this, which is a US to Jamaican connection, uh, hip hop to reggae connection, um, that's obviously kind of a rarity. Um, even though there's a lot of uh, reggae elements that um, a lot of uh, US artists um, have, especially when it comes to um, you know some artists that have you know Caribbean parents. You know what I mean? Uh, I think we're, we're about to we're gonna not to spoil your one of yours, Ben. We're gonna talk about Azalea Banks and clearly there's some <laughs> Caribbean elements in her work, right? So, you know, it's, it's, there's a syn, uh, synonymity, like synonymous, but synonymity, is that a word, synonymity? I'm not I sure. I hope it, it is. I'm not sure that it is, Charlie, but hey, you could, you could, I mean, it's a, could pioneer is it, it. I mean, I coined it, synonymity. synonymity. It's synonymous, but synonymity. Yeah. It sounds like a word, so I'll take it. Um, but yeah, you know what I mean? Um, there's some, there's a potential there, right, for 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 cross pollination. That's the word I'm looking for. <clears throat> um, so yeah, with this album um, itself, I love the album just off rip. Um, even though I I, I always overlook, uh, I always say that overlooking the fact that um, Lil Wayne and Joss Stone are on one track, which makes 
no sense to me at all. I don't, I don't know how the fuck they got into the uh, they got they they uh, hitched themselves to this wagon. Um, but anyway, it's it's not a bad track. Can't complain. Um, just an odd choice of people. But anyway, uh, but yeah, it's obviously um, uh, hip hop reggae fusion, as you can imagine. Um, and also, you know, before Ben gets to it in his general force to it, and I'm sure, well, he said this to me um, as he was listening to it. Uh, Damien Marley just takes this album, bro. Takes this album, disgracefully takes this album. Takes the torch and went mine. Um, you know, Nas is uh, fine on the album. Uh, he's present on the album uh, for a few tracks. Uh, uh, the, mo- the most popular ones, obviously, being um, "As We Enter," "Narmin." Uh, patience and also I think is it count your blessings I forgot I forget the name of the track specifically land of no yeah count your blessings that's the one yeah exactly um so yeah it's a good album itself um with some great features uh Stephen Marley uh Stephen Marley Dennis Brown uh Kanan as well uh, which is uh always surprising one of those artists where I like everyone knows Kanan for the waving flag track on the uh for the 2010 World Cup, but uh, <laughs> no, nobody's ever listened. Well, no, well, I'll say nobody in you know our uh, our spheres um, listen to Kanan regularly. Uh, I'm sure many African uh, uh, people do. Uh, shout to the African uh, people, people damn listening. Uh, but yeah, it's just a fascinating album to me, and I feel like it's a unique album now. But I feel like with how globalization is happening, uh, especially in music, and with how you know, a lot of artists dip into uh, genres that they, you know, this is another conversation whether they should or not. You know what I mean? Uh, that's a, that's a that's another conversation, but they are, and uh, yeah, I just I just feel like it's this is going to be there's going to be more of albums such as these where like you know an artist from this country, an artist from another country, are just gonna smash their genres together and like create some uh, uh, either. <laughs> <laughs> either a complete abomination or uh something as good as distant relatives so uh i'll i'll, I'll leave it at that yeah, it's an interesting album this uh it's all uh, i'll give some stats sold 57k first week it went number five which is damien marley's highest charting album it's actually nasa's second lowest first week sales on a studio album only king's disease sold less at 47k it's only got a 73 on metacritic which is really low uh, all but three of the tracks were produced by Dam- Damien Marley himself. The other three came from Stephen Marley. And to me, it's pretty clear from the beginning that this is a Damien Marley album with Nas kind of along for the ride. I, I feel like Nas occasionally feels a little jarring, not because of his content, but the rhythm is- of his voice is-, is not that melodic. You know, he's never been a melodic yeah. rapper in the same way that uh, Tupac or Kendrick are, but it's his lyrical content that creates its own rhythm. So, you know, on a, on a track like Tribes at War, he fits, but he only fits because his content is really incredible. And I think, you know, Lil Wayne probably showed that on My Generation where his content is not at the level of Nas's, but he has a much more diverse flow and ability in that sense. So he actually sounds more at ease on it. I personally, there's no one I would have put on this album other than Nas. Uh, I'm not going to say that, but, um, you know, I did text Charlie and say that, that Damien Marley rinses Nas on every song on here. But I don't think that's super fair to Nas because I it's not 
it doesn't sound like it's his album to me. Damien Marley sounds unbelievable. Mm. Like he excels. Every beat here is perfectly placed. He really hypes the project into overdrive by track three. And then it just crashes on the rocks in this beautiful slow burn way before gradually building again through like count your blessings, despair. Like I think Nas delivers his best performance on Narmin. That beat really suited him, I think, and his content really went off. Nas's unique word percentage is 44%, and I wanted to say that because I didn't hear a single cringe Nas bar on here. And you know the ones I mean. You all know the ones I mean. The I squeeze nipples like pimples to get... The the I squeeze nipples like pimples to get the pus Nas. That's the Nas (laughs) that I'm talking about. I, I didn't hear a solitary one on here, and that's a rarity to me. So I love this project, actually. I've, I have I don't go back to it too often, but obviously I, I listened when it dropped. Um, it's a great project. It's a really great project. And it actually felt organic, even though I'm saying that Nas felt a little bit jarring on here. That's why I say I don't, yeah. I don't I can't see anyone else on this project from any any North American rapper is what I mean. I you know there's there's plenty yeah, yeah, yeah. plenty of other artists outside of North America who I could see on this project, but I couldn't see anyone in North America outside of of Nas on this project. And uh, it's a great project, man. It's it's a really great project. And and you know what? It is that early two ten, 2010 sound. They do get into a little bit of that electro. But it's never overdone at any stage. It's only used to increase the energy, which I really like. So what do you think about the uh, the potential blueprint theory that I posed? Um, look, I think you're 100% right in theory. I think it should probably start happening a little bit more. I'm surprised we haven't seen it happen more. There was a massive push a couple of years ago where everyone was saying that Nigeria was up next. And... You know, Tidal had sent people out to Nigeria to find the next big Nigerian artist. I was very surprised that that didn't come to fruition. I am so surprised that pop music has continued in the same direction it's continued in the last three years because I genuinely thought that Afrobeat would just explode and, and become part of the mainstream conversation. But it just hasn't yet, and I'm really confused by that. And I do think it will come at some point. I think people will get bored of listening to Post Malone crooning on you know old <laughs> old rock songs they, they'll get bored of that shit man it's, it's gonna happen eventually and, and the labels are gonna start looking for something new and exciting and and i think the problem at the moment is that what the labels are looking for is a persona rather than a sound if that makes any sense yeah so if i'm looking at someone like lizzo if i'm looking at someone like lil nas x if i'm looking at someone like cardi b I'm not looking explicitly at their music. I'm looking at the person. You're getting people to buy into that person. And Markability. Then when you do that, all of a sudden, you know, they start exploding into mainstream success. Look at the way Lil Nas X is, is using his own pers- persona and personality to explode. So I think when that ends, I'm not sure when that will be, I think then we'll start seeing more of this because it, it should have already happened, to be honest. I, I agree with you in theory. It should have already happened. Yeah, uh, it sounds more about marketability to it more than anything uh, mm-hmm. as pertains to what you just said. Um, interestingly, as uh, a random comment, I just thought up. Uh, well, actually, I ha- I've had a thought about it uh, for a while because I've just been hearing a lot of like throwback, like retro eighties pop now. 
Like, uh, I, I know a few people that are dropping soon. Uh, Lauren Buller, no, most notably. Mm, uh, she's amazing. dropped, like, a full-on, just, like, yeah, full-on 80s uh, projects from how it looks and sounds, uh, from the singles especially. You know, the boom, like that, all, yeah. that, all that Janet Jackson kind of vibe. Um, you know, obviously, Julipo had the Future Nostalgia. and the, You know, it's been a, the there's weekend, been a few, like, man, records like that. Yeah, rec- Blinding yeah, exactly. Lights. Oh, Blinding oh, Lights oh, is... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Even Dawn Richards been doing a little bit of that as well. Like, is a little bit of that that vibe coming in? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, that was just a that was just a comment I I thought. But anyway, yeah, it's just um, it's interesting. It's interesting on on that trajectory. But um, yeah, and on the Afrobeat note, which is quite interesting, you said that. Uh, I felt like, yeah, I I felt like it was like a missed. There was a miss there mm-hmm. like obviously you know we have the burner boy we have the whiz kids and stuff like that but like it's, it's i don't know yeah it's, it's weird isn't it it's weird yeah exactly that's what i mean um, it should be bigger like i really think you know I, I i think that when labels realize that they can market a sound much cheaper than they can market a person but that it's so cheap now to market a person because it's social media it's free like Lil nas x is just tweeting shit that's free you know you don't have to do <laughs> anything you know <laughs> So I think that's He's done the hard work here. Yeah. yeah, I think I don't know, man, but I agree with you. I think they definitely missed the trick to uh, to really diversify and send things in a different direction. I don't think they've missed it necessarily because I think it'll always be there. But it's got to come soon. It's got to come soon. There's got to be a shake up in popular music. It has to come soon. Yeah. All right, well, uh, we could hop into uh, your first album if you like. All right, well, I'll jump on to since you already mentioned Azalea Banks' Fantasy. So. Azalea Banks is one of the most fascinating artists in hip-hop history to me. So she dropped 212, and 2011, I think it was, blew up overseas, but it did not blow up in America. It went number 14 in the Netherlands, 12 in the UK, 7 in Ireland. It was number one on the... Yes, it did. It was number one on the Belgium dance charts. It went number 12 in Scotland. It charted in eight countries, but it did not chart in the US on the Hot 100. Hasn't even been certified, but it is an iconic song. It has 202 million views on YouTube, and it really springboarded her to the forefront of the conversation in the early 2010s. So you fast forward to 2012. She's on stage at Coachella performing basically demos and mixtape cuts. You know, the press was throwing publicity at her at this point. So an EP was scrambled together, charts at 133 in the US, but it actually impacts worldwide. Has an 84 on Metacritic. It only has four tracks, but it still managed to chart in four different countries, which is crazy considering she's this is one song and she's worldwide at this point. So it's important to position fantasy in the landscape. So the early 2010s, obviously we get that that hip hop electro clash crossover. So Diplo heard two of Azalea Banks' early songs and he spoke up about them on social media which some say led to her being picked up by XL, which is the British label, the British independent label. That ended up going nowhere. And she was in New York just trying to kind of make ends meet. So she dropped 212. She said it was a it was a real low-rent video that she just threw up to get some exposure. And it went viral. So then she gets signed by Universal and then 212 charts worldwide thanks to the Universal Connection. Now, I watched an interview with Azalea Banks, and she said that she recorded Fantasy without the knowledge of the label, and she snuck it out in order to continue to tour into 2013. She actually pivoted into Glastonbury 
off the back of Fantasy. You know, you can't perform Glastonbury with four songs. So she put out Fantasy. She didn't even end up dropping her debut album on Universal. They actually parted ways and she ended up dropping it independently. So I think that Fantasy is definitely Azalea Banks at her absolute most raw and honest. There's no attempt to do anything except express herself. She said in an interview, it was right at the beginning of her career, and she says, I remember where I was in that place. I was this young girl who was just coming onto the scene. I remember that time being really colorful. And the mixtape is super colorful. It's laced with electronica, but it's not mm-hmm. as grandiose as what we're used to seeing from these early 2010s work. It's, it's almost minimal at times with these, these synth flourishes and, and these hollowed out bass lines. And it has like a deep house feel, you know, even when things do explode like Atlantis, the title track, um, Aquababe, No Problems. It, it never actually sounds like Azalea Banks is sitting outside of the beat. She inhabits it. And to me, it while, whilst the other albums that we've spoken about in this kind of category feel like crossovers, this never felt like a crossover. It's, it's almost like she steps fully into every genre which she explores on this tape. There's some classic hip-hop songs here too, like Nathan with Styles P is fire. I'm a Reed, over the top of that Zebra Cats track, fucking crazy. Then the flow she drops into on Fierce, oh my gosh, man, like really incredible. And when this tape dropped, you could tell that this was a total star in every single artistic way. Like, when that beat comes back on in Fierce, uh, it has that more muscular percussion section at the end. You can feel the tension and it's like it's building up to like a dubstep drop track. But you know there's no chance she's going to fumble it. And she just, she slays it, man. And there's this surprising bedroom quality to the production too. Like sometimes it just feels like someone really talented experimenting on Fruity Loops. So I say all that to say this. I don't ever think there was any rapper with as much commercial potential as Azalea Banks post-2010. You know, remembering that Nicki obviously debuted pre-2010. I don't think Cardi, I don't think Meg, I don't think Iggy, I don't think Doja Cat, I don't think Tink, I don't think Dej Loaf. The way that Azalea Blanks blew this mixtape up and flipped it into a European tour, all behind the back of her label. Remember that. This is behind the back of the major label she signed with, okay? The way she annihilated all these beats, the singing, the rapping, the cadences, it's masterful. And... I, I look. This is a mixtape. This is a mixtape. This is not. She's not sitting down with songwriters. She's not sitting down with producers. They're not in a studio together. Like, how can we? How can we put out the best possible product? Like, Nicki Minaj is is you know incredible. I genuinely think Azalea Banks is as talented as Nicki Minaj. Maybe not on the MC level. Maybe she's not quite at that. I don't know. Like I haven't really seen her fully realize that side because she does so much more. She sings as, as she sings. She's she's all over the place. So, you know, I'm not trying to compare Nicki and Azalea, but like I'm saying that I think they're both incredibly stupidly talented. And, and yeah, I think this 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 is a great one of the great unknowns in hip hop to me. Because I really think she could have been something truly epic. <clears throat> yeah, I think you actually make a very, um, a very interesting argument there uh, in terms of the uh, talent uh, potential uh, that she had at this time. Um, 
you were naming off the names, and I was just like, I was, I was mm. thinking about it. I was like, I see, um, mm, uh, mm, yeah, but you know, but you know, finessing it into a European tour and having behind the back a label, like you said, that is a boss move. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't, I can't knock that. Uh, as to the as to the mixtape itself, which is the first time I listened to it today, um, I I love the the first, especially like the first third of the album, where it gives me it, it really brought me back to like. Uh, late night drives uh, back home with my dad, like listening to just like night radio, and it was just like uh, you know, just really, just just really vibey deep house and garage mm. and stuff like that. Just just like just full on like hour mixes, you know what I mean? Where you're not hearing anybody. It's just like you just fucking vibe out and watch the lights just go by. Um, and just space out it, that it really gave me it really transported me back there which I really appreciate um, her lyrical ability is really really underrated and really up there actually um, the flow the, the flows that she has throughout this mixtape mm-hmm. is, is very very wide ranging um, she she comes at you with different speeds at all times uh, you really don't you really don't know what's going to come next um, the tracks themselves are, are built very uniquely. Uh, like one track could be like a minute long, uh, and then another track's like five minutes long, <laughs> right? Five minutes long straight afterwards. It's very disjointed, but very I don't know. I, I like I like it. I, 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 I don't I don't mind this. It's it's not uh, like yeah. The word raw I think is the best uh, the best term for it. Uh, the fact that you said that. Um, I think that's I think that's probably the best word for it because um uh, <laughs> okay do I can I can I just can I just derail and uh, and just uh, shout what you just sent me because uh, I I do I do think this is a worthy part of it and not to make this as Xavier Banks retrospective um, but um, you know Ben just sent me a screenshot of uh, I guess. I guess he googled Xavier Banks and the first and you know Google has those people also ask things. And uh, three are about a cat, uh, <laughs> and the fourth one's net worth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it it really does. Like listening to this makes me like. Uh, it really does make me think. Like uh, you know where she could have been if and uh, and bro, I don't know whether this is like social media bullshit or her being generally weird i'm not sure maybe it's both right i don't know because i haven't really looked into it that hard like some every time i see azalea banks is just like she's either you know uh, reading people uh, on stories and stuff like that and i'm not really into that kind of life um you know i mean i'm just uh, it is what it is and then i listen the only track i listened to until like you know recently was 212 and i didn't really i heard that everywhere um <laughs> so i was just like okay great um so yeah but you know, coming into this coming into this mixtape, I obviously had all those, and uh, you know, I don't really see it as you know, I'm not gonna listen to this person, um, but listen to this mixtape really, uh, really opened my eyes to like what really could have been. I I feel like in some ways, um, uh, you know, the fact she's done all of this independently uh, is very commendable. Obviously, the the main album. I forget what it's called. Broke, broke with good taste or something. Broke like. with expensive um, taste. Broke with expensive taste. Yeah, obviously that's the highlight uh, of her career so far. Um, but 
yeah man i really love this album i actually really enjoyed it uh it really sent me to a real throwback place for me which i really uh, enjoy and it's very personal to me uh the the purely objective side of me just sees a really good and highly talented uh uh artist and uh i do like the bedroom quality that you mentioned it's like some of these tracks do sound like she's just creating like a a dj mix in some ways uh, and then she just raps over them like just for fun um yeah it's just very carefree i really like it i love the just the freeness of it it's a real um it's it's those, it's that album that i feel like a lot of artists want to do um but don't feel like they can or they can't in some for certain certain restrictions or whatever uh yeah i feel like this is one of those uh pieces of work that every artist would love to do yeah i mean hmm i mean the 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 screenshot i sent just it just makes me sad like and not not sad in the sense of i'm sad that people give a fuck about this shit or that that people blow this up more than her music the the fact that i google azuli banks and the, the first three people also ask like I don't know, man. Like it just, it just upsets me. This the social media generation is very confusing to me. People are obsessed about, I don't know, the wrong kind of thing. It's just what I see on Twitter every day. Is just this kind of combative, accusatory, call out, drag everything. You know, like it's just like, hey, let's who can drag who the furthest kind of thing. And I think that Zelia Banks has been done a massive disservice by a lot of people. I, I don't, you know. And I think it's the fans who have done that. Like, I don't think it's... I don't know what goes on behind closed doors with her labels and her managers and everything like that. I have no idea. But I just think you've got to give some people some fucking grace, man. Like, it's okay. Like, just allow her to be in the public spotlight and to to say some silly stuff that you don't agree with. Just allow it to happen and just focus on the music instead. I don't know. This All this tabloid shit just pisses me off. And I think that that's... You know, that's been the confusing thing for me because I've always adored her music and I think she's stupidly talented and I just, um, it's one of the greatest what-ifs to me in hip-hop history because, yeah, Broke with Expensive Taste is great, but it came out independently and charted number 30 despite being independent, which is actually really, really good. You know, that might sound like not much at all, but when you're independent, that's actually really, really good. Uh, it was in charted in five countries as well, so... um. I don't know, she's 29, uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen next, but uh, I hope she's okay, I wish her all the best, and um, I'm glad that we got Fantasy, because I, I really love that that mixtape. Yeah, yeah, uh, highly uh, highly agree, Wish uh, I'd, I'd love to see, hear something like that, of that nature, even now, like, obviously the, 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 um, the, the music landscape doesn't uh, warrant it these days, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I would, I, w- I would not be... Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say no. Um, all right, so let's hop on to uh, my second album. And uh, this is Apollo Brown and Boog Brown. Uh, yeah, Apollo Brown and Boog Brown. Yeah, I, <laughs> I literally just realised they have both Whoa, Brown. Whoa, you didn't... You uh, did, bro, come on now. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just... I didn't register it. <laughs> all right. Fair, <laughs> man. Fair, okay. I, I, I just go Apollo and Book like, in my head, but obviously they're both a brand name. I just... I don't know why. I've, it, I've just... I just said their names both in the same t- uh, in the same sentence for the first time. Uh, Brown Study uh, also came in 2010, and um, my angle for this album is uh, a conversation, uh, maybe maybe a subjective one, on the word timeless and how I see that word. Um, it, it's probably going to be the next 
overused word uh, now that classic is basically dead to people. <laughs> oh, it's timeless, bro. It's timeless. It's like, oh, fuck, fuck off. Uh, I could be saying that in five years, guarantee it. Uh, but yeah, my, my, my definition of timeless in this sense, um, you know, when it comes to that word, I think of like, uh, you know, Marvin Gaye, uh, what's going on, right? And the reason why that album is timeless is the is because the things he's talking about um, you know, it's very obviously very political, very anti-war, right? It's um, yeah, brother, brother. Let's start, you know, just it's it's what's going on. Please go to it, um, you know, and that's timeless until you know uh, until we get shit together, which you know, be got <laughs> enter glass half full, glass half empty, uh, uh, quip, but um. You know that's that's from that's usually from a lyrical standpoint. Obviously, uh, the sounds of that album is very of that time, right? It's not timeless, um, but when it comes to this album, and I'm not saying this is better than what's going on, obviously, but I'm just making the comparison uh, where Marvin Gaye's lyrics obviously timeless, uh, in in a, in a way. But in some ways, I see this album as timeless in both of uh, both of the artists' respective uh, uh, expertises, expertise. Because <laughs> um, I see, I, I listen to this album, and uh, you know, you get that Apollo Brown production. Right, I'll start there. You know, if you haven't listened to Apollo Brown by now, I don't know what you've been doing. Um, just super sample heavy. Uh, drum package is heat. Uh, just elite production all the time. And in in my mind, uh, Apollo Brown has this real timeless element to him, uh, to his production. If I if if you didn't tell me that this was in 2010, I could have taken a guess between the past 30 years. Uh, this sounds like it could have been the 90s. This sounds like it could have been in the 2000s as like a real underground hip-hop album that, you know, the real ones enjoy instead of, you know, listening to that, uh, listen to that mainstream shit uh, back then. Obviously, it drops in 2010 and it easily could fit into the hip-hop landscape now with, with how people are being drawn more towards people like Mad Lib, people like The Alchemist, Stag Selector, right? They're in the same wheelhouse, uh, and people are, you know, becoming more and more drawn to that classic nature that hip hop producers do when, it, especially when it comes to sampling. And obviously, general production work is top tier from all of them. Um, but yeah, this album just sonically comes off so timeless to me. I can listen to this like until I'm eighty, and I'll still find it so fresh uh, with how it just, with how it just uh, um, uh, gives you this uh real soft feeling uh for for a lot of these tracks um especially something like my love which just fucking crazy how that how how clean that beat is <clears throat> and then we get to book brown which um i have who i have been a fan of for the past um two years um i i initially again i initially thought this album you know came out recently but then i was like oh shit it's 2010 um for those that haven't listened to Book Brown, and they're both Detroit, uh, Detroit artists, by the way, so, you know, shout out to Detroit on this front. Um, Book Brown has this uh, real silky, uh, 
silky voice and silky delivery. Um, and the bars are just super nice, real great bars everywhere from the, for, for this album and throughout her career. Um, I just always wonder like how she hasn't uh, blown up yet. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> she's just so freaking good to me. Um, and it's just one of those uh, eternal questions that I always try and uh, figure out an answer to. Um, but yeah, she comes through just so crazy on here. It's 40 minutes and um you know apart from a couple of features uh, on friction friends like these and play the game um she's just all over it um she just takes the whole she just takes every track with just like full uh again timeless uh talking points um it really is and in some ways it's universal and that's why it's ti- it feels timeless to me because the thing she's talking about in these songs can be thought of by a 15-year-old, but it can also be thought of by a 70-year-old. Um, so that's why I come with the timeless um, aspect of it, not in terms of like, is it a classic, stuff like that. I'm just talking about it strictly from a, um, uh, from a how how the music is applied uh i can listen to this at any time i can listen to this at, at you know from like i said 50 years from now and i'll be still you know just enjoying the the essence of it uh, and i feel like it's so rare uh for albums to have that and you know not album every not every album has to have that by the way right not every album has to you know, sound timeless. It's it's great when albums sound off the time because it sends you back. It gives you that nostalgic feel. Um, there's plenty of albums you can name for that. But for this, it's just one of those special albums to me um, that I feel like I can listen to forever and uh, just still have that initial enjoyment that I not, that I did the first time I spun it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't I don't disagree with any of that. I think that this is obviously the first time I've ever listened to. Boog Brown, uh, Polo Brown, you know, I, I know a lot about, uh, I've listened to quite a lot of work, but I didn't realize he was around three years prior to this project, so 2007, but this is Boog Brown's debut album, I think, so, you know, she kind of stomps onto the scene here with something that, as Charlie says, is genuinely timeless, that's a very, very hard thing to do, and he, he, Apollo Brown absolutely laces these beats. Like, My Love is such a beautiful example of that. Like, to me, there's a lot of just Blaze level beats on here. You know, there's a lot of beats mm-hmm. that really give me that that sample vibe, that throwback vibe, but that, uh, that epic kind of horn section vibe, you know, where it really pushes the energy up. Now, Boog Brown's lyrical content is really fascinating to me. I was expecting a deeply socially conscious and introspective uh, piece of content and we definitely get that the bulk of the time but like a song like friction really hit me out of the out of left field because even though it's an anomaly I, i'm very appreciative of her dropping back and reminding us what she's capable of lyrically it's very braggadocio it's very kind of take on all comers i really like that the album just unfolds beautifully and and quite slowly to be honest you know apollo brown deserves a lot of the credit here because those drums on master plan they're the same ones that actually open up This Is 50 off The Massacre. And he builds slowly into a real crescendo at My Love and Friends Like These. But he actually then deconstructs again and then slowly builds it back up to another crescendo and understanding. 
And I think that this is some of Apollo Brown's best production of his entire career. And Boog Brown is really poignant. You know, she has this amazing quality of being raw and relatable, but also powerful and in control, like someone you look up to, someone in a position of strength, someone with with knowledge and wisdom that you don't have. It's almost like your best friend becoming a doctor. It's a really cool dynamic that plays out on this album. And um, it does have that timeless feel. It definitely has that timeless feel where... You're going to be listening to this in 10, 20, 30 years. It's not going to sound dated. Because it, it, cause it's, it's almost like these kind of this kind of production, I feel like it's very hard to get right because there's a lot of... I think it's it's easier to get right in the underground than it is in the mainstream, you know, because I think there's a lot of pressure in the mainstream to create, yes, your keep your artistic integrity and, and create the kind of project that you want to create, but at the same time, there's pressure to make it sound like everyone else sounds, even a little bit, even a tiny little bit. And and this album just doesn't have that feel. It has that early 2000s kind of slowed down sample or sorry, sped up sample sound from Rockefeller, but it's 2010. So, you know, this was just, this was not in vogue when this album came out. But the thing about it is just because it wasn't in vogue in 2010 doesn't mean that, you know, it's, it's, I, it, well, what it actually means is it's going to endure forever. And so um, it really surprised me. I've obviously never heard this album before, but it really hit me, hit me. Like I was very surprised. I'm not surprised because Charlie picks great albums and, and albums in this vein. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed this project. I'm surprised I, I'd never listened to it prior. Well, thanks, Ben. Well, you don't miss, man. When have you ever missed? I mean, you, <laughs> you, you have terrible takes. You genuinely have terrible takes. What? You have you pick good albums, man. I can't lie, you pick good albums. Shit. <laughs> you hate Swiss beats. I mean, come on, bro. I don't hate Swiss beats. You don't I've like the grinding beat. I mean, come on. This is a man who doesn't I've like grinding. I never said I don't like the grinding yes, beat. Yes, you did. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I said it's dated. <laughs> Sorry, gosh. That's different. Uh, I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm just saying, guys, there are better beats out there. <laughs> Album-wise, you're always on point. You're always on point. Oh, gosh. All right, I'll take it. I'm not a Swiss Beats hater. Just, he just inserts himself like so unnecessarily sometimes. Like, it's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's constructive criticism. Okay. Stay the fuck out of some of these tracks sometimes. Bro. Well, I'll just, get it to him. Just killing my vibe sometimes. All right, anyway. Your 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 second album. Yeah, well, uh, J Rock nine double o five nine. So this is I I'm, I'm pinning everything on this man. This is my analysis. This is this is intense. So this is gonna be big. All right, J Rock was meant to be the one, not Kendrick Lamar. Okay, J Rock was signed to TDE in the mid two thousands. His first ever commercial single featured Lil Wayne and Will I Am with production from Cool and Dre. Now, I say that J-Rock was chosen above Kendrick because a leaked version of that song was released where Kendrick sung the hook. It was pretty clear that TDE thought J-Rock was more marketable at this point. Otherwise, Kendrick would have been on that song. But it never really happened for him. His debut album, Follow Me Home, dropped without enough fanfare via the two labels. So it came out on TDE and Strange Music. It charted at 83 and it only went 73 on Metacritic. Okay, this album was really crucial because back then all the eyes on the they, they were on this conscious sound that was coming out of West Coast. And this album, okay, they threw everything they had. And this is an independent album, okay? But they got 
Chris Brown, Little Wayne, Rick Ross, they have production from Justice League and Terrace Martin on this project. Okay, so it was this this was meant to be Good Kid Mad City. This was Good Kid Mad City before Good Kid Mad City. This was the album that was meant to you know, Section 80 did really well. And I think Section 80, I don't know if Section 80 came prior to this out, uh, Follow Me Home or not, but like I think Section 80 showed them that, okay, we didn't do it with J-Rock, so let's try again with Kendrick Lamar on Good Kid, Mad City. My whole point here is if J-Rock dropped 90059 in 2011 instead of Follow Me Home, totally, oh, yeah. totally different kind of conversation. Oh, yeah. But it's not oh, that yeah. out of pocket because they threw, obviously, their Rolodex at Follow Me Home. You know, they had some incredible artists on there. They had some incredible producers on there. 90059 is not that different in that sense. It's really not that different. And, you know, I personally think that if it had come out in 2011, J-Rock would be equal pegging with Kendrick by the time To Pip a Butterfly comes out. Now, I have no idea what would happen after that because To Pip a Butterfly, damn, you know, that's a whole other level of success. But, you know, I certainly feel like 90059 is um, is a great album. So it sold 19K first week, charted 16, had the big features, had Kendrick, Buster, Macy Gray, 79 on Metacritic, but... It shines the brightest light on J-Rock's most essential quality. He sounds hard as bricks on top of any kind of production. So the NWA mm. influence is palpable on here. He said that they mm. were a huge influence. He said, we grew up in that off the projects. And they made a big statement. And he said, this is like a rerun. He says, we're going through the same stuff they went through 20 to 25 years ago. We're going through the same stuff. It's like a repeat cycle. So I definitely feel it. And congrats to those dudes. They've been a big influence on my life and my boys' lives too. And that made us want to do something better, especially just talking about what we're going through through music. So 72.9, that was all his words, by the way. 72.9% of J-Rock's lyrics are socially conscious. 33.3% violence, 32.1% oppression and racism, 20.8% empowerment, and 13.8% drugs. And, you know, the message is almost a given on any J-Rock project, but it's especially potent here. You know, on the for the opening track, J-Rock said, the concept to this song is for those out there in America that's just grinding, that are trying to get, get it by any means necessary with whatever you're doing just to get by. Because nowadays, that's what it is. It's hard. Education is hard to get nowadays. People got to do what they got to do, especially where I come from. And to me, this sets up a different album to Good Kid, Mad City. I feel it aligns more with early Schoolboy Q work, which dives deep into the addiction, the desperation, the struggle. But then we also get songs like Easy Bake and Gumbo, which to me are the two most mainstream-friendly songs here. But it shows to me why TDE was so interesting in positioning him at their commercial forefront because he he can do this. He can do this. You know, it's... The way that he delivers those songs, it's so unique to J-Rock, but it keeps the content so raw. You know, he says, have you ever put your hand over the fire just to see what you could tolerate and find you have no escape? Like, a lot of artists can oscillate when attempting to create a true concept album. I think it's incredibly hard to carry a theme throughout an entire record and keep it listenable. But there's nothing here that misses at all. You know, this Vice City is an incredible posse cut. Money Trees Deuce is the redux of that that incredible world-beating verse on Money Trees by Kendrick, which it's just, just mind-bogglingly good. So 
you know, I remember what it was like when Kendrick dropped Good Kid, Mad City. You know, I remember what was going on. And I really do think that if J-Rock had dropped 9005 in 2011, it's a different kind of situation. Yes, it may not have gone, you know, number five, number 10, whatever. But it would be completely different landscape for his career. I think he'd be doing stadium tours. I think he'd be one of the most anticipated artists in hip hop. I don't think he'd take Kendrick's place at all. That's They're different. They're completely different in that sense. But hip-hop was really hungry for a socially conscious mainstream artist in the early 2010s. You know, Lupe dropped lasers. Kanye was being Kanye. Kanye did My Beautiful Doctors to Fantasy, but then he did Wash the Throne, and then he did Cruel Summer, and then he did Yeezus. So I would say Yeezus is a very socially conscious album. But I'm not going to say that Cruel Summer was. I'm not going to say necessarily that Wash the Throne was the whole way through. You know, it was Talib Kweli was obviously fading from view. Kendrick was still one year away. J. Cole was still three years away from separating, really separating himself. 2014 Forest Hills Drive was when he really separated himself from and created mm-hmm. that that socially conscious lane. This was mm-hmm. the album, man, Dying 0059. And like the way that people don't talk about it anymore boggles my mind. Like, holy shit, this is a fucking gem. I think I had this at like number 12 of my top albums of the decade last year. And I think it could even be higher than that, man. Uh, uh, this was it. This was it. J-Rock was up next. Wow. And um, Follow Me Home was a great album, but it just wasn't this. And if this had come out then, then holy shit, man. I think the whole landscape would have been different. I didn't realize it was that close uh, close for you on uh, on the decade list. That would have been, yeah, it's mad that would have close. Been, that, would been a cool com- that would have been a cool conversation. Um on the first point you made, as it pertains to uh, you know, uh, J Cole, uh, J Rock, yeah, I was gonna say J J J J J Rock, J Cole, uh, J Rock being uh, you know, the 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 first man of like TDE. I think that was the case um, early on. I think uh, they really had. I think I think there's been, I think there's been quotes um, of people in TDE and around that time saying that like you know. Oh, we had our chips on. We had our chips fully on J Rock. Yeah. Like, like Kendrick and Q were just like you know, uh, Nabso were worthy additions. Like J yeah. was supposed to be, you know, the supposed to be wearing the crown. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that always fascinates me, and it makes a lot of sense because J Rock comes early on comes across as like, and it's so funny you mentioned NWA because this is literally how I keep seeing yeah. th- seeing this. Uh, Seeing this, I see uh, J uh, J Rock as like uh, MC Ren to uh, Kendrick's Ice Cube. I really make that comparison in my head, just subconsciously, and it's the first time I've said it on Wax. But it makes so much sense to me, because like if you go listen to like uh, Strayer Compton, right? Uh, I don't care what you guys say to me, okay? <laughs> You can talk to me about Gangster Gangster. You can talk about Strayer Compton, the title track. You can talk about Express Yourself, Fuck the Police. But nothing, no, there is no track better than Quiet on the Set, which is an all MC Ren track, and it fucking bangs, okay? You cannot tell me that if you listen to that album, <laughs> that, you, you, that you don't leave that album thinking, MC Ren is next, like, you don't, you can't, you can't tell me that. 
Um, and I and I wonder what the oral history of that uh, of of if there was even that com- if that conversation was being had at that time. Uh, I would love to know about that. But obviously, the whole album just obviously one big whirlwind anyway. So obviously, people couldn't really get into the nitty gritty. Hmm, what about Quiet on the Snit? Let's dissect that. Uh, obviously, couldn't get into that in the, uh, the at the time of release um, for obvious reasons. But um, yeah, I just in hindsight bro that 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 one song just like really just set a light and the same with like something like uh you know money trees where obviously j-rock just fucking banged on that right and you listen to that and you're like this j-rock guy man this j-rock guy comes through and it makes a lot of sense because he in some ways can do it all like he's got the hood shit on lock and obviously that bangs right he can have some socially conscious stuff sprinkled in there and that's really all you need, right? In in a, in a lot of ways, like we don't we're not asking we don't we don't really ask for much when it comes to you know personas, right? So to speak, right? He obviously has the the you know tank top uh, tank top wearing uh, kind of vibe, or just uh, them. I don't know what they call them shirts, um, like them really broad uh, shirts, not bowling shirts, but like adjacent to bowling shirts. But anyway, I can't. I, can't, I know there's a term for it. But... Proof used to wear them a lot from D12. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't, like, polos, but not polos, I don't know, so it's in that realm, anyway, um, you know, he has that look, right, and that's and that's calm, uh, and, you know, we could have easily just gone off that, and I feel like it was so, it was there, um, but obviously just Kendra, Kendra just took off uh, with a creative, in the, with a creative boom like nobody else, but, um, you know, even with that said, I don't think the fact that Kendrick blew up, um, put down J-Rock in any way, no. I hope it didn't, um, and maybe, mm. maybe, maybe for some people, they act, they they think like that. I'm not sure. Um, like you know, there can only be one. <laughs> you know, we've said that before a lot of times. Uh, but you know, maybe maybe people do think like that. But um, yeah, I listen to I I I told, honestly I re until you name this album this week I I honestly forgot about it. Like I'm I'm and I'm a bit pissed that I did because like you said, there are a lot of there's a lot of good shit here and. Uh, I on your point of um you know if it dropped you know four years earlier I mean we we could say that for a lot of albums right mm-hmm. <laughs> like I know what you mean uh but you know it, you, you could say that about any album <laughs> but yeah uh if if it dropped five years earlier it would have been you know mind blowing and uh you know so um but yeah it is um it is an interesting uh. I can't wait till we do a general retrospective now. Like it'll be a while before we do it, but I, I can't wait to get into that kind of you know, just getting like an hour and a half of just talking about J Rock because that'll be that's that'll be a fascinating career to look into. But um, yeah, as it pertains to this album, uh, you know, uh, I obviously it came out at the same time, uh, well not the same time, but the same year as the Butterfly. They're on, uh, they basically bookended uh, the uh, the year for each other, um, and yeah, I just I don't know, it just um. It, it it is better redemption. I'll, uh, I'll agree with that. Um, and yeah, I, I just don't, I just don't know like how this album just got I don't know lost in some way. Like it's just um like uh, people talk about oxymoron a lot, and I do love that album. Like it's a great album, but it's the same. It's it's kind of like a, in a similar space as uh, uh, nine uh, nine double o five nine. Like they're both quality. If they if they were a project before they would have been fucking astronomically great, uh, astronomically loved more. Um, but for some reason, I feel like people talk more about Oxymoron than 90059. And maybe that's just because 
schoolboy Q's a much more, you know, fascinating personality, and he, you know, sometimes comes on social media says some funny shit. Maybe it's that, maybe, and then people just feel like, you know, and well, of all people, you know how hip hop Twitter works. If someone says something, then everybody has to talk about that eyes for the day and like name and you know talk about oh oh do you remember when Q dropped this like, you know stuff like that. And obviously J Rock keeps very uh, under wraps and keeps it to himself, which is cool. Um, but yeah, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting angle that you come out about with this. And I um, I wasn't really prepared for it, but yeah, it's it's weird how pe- how many people don't talk about this album enough. And I, I know we can say that about a lot of work. But I feel like it's really genuine when it comes to this. Well, I just want to give a little bit more because it's just a little bit of reading then. So Go for it. Oxymoron came out under Interscope. 90059 was entirely independent. So TDE have this, uh, a lot of their albums came out independent. And it was kind of like right. as soon as you went like top 15 with an album independently, you basically got signed to Interscope. But, you know, Kendrick obviously went 113 with Section 80 and his next album went number two because it came out under Interscope. Uh, Schoolboy Q, Habits and Contradictions, 111. Oxymoron, number one under Interscope. So he went from independent to signed. Now, J-Rock was not signed when he dropped 90059 and that went number 16. Mm. You know, so I think that that's the difference. And J Rock actually said he was Great asked point. by Double XL when, why it's he's waited so long to put out uh, 90059. It was actually meant to come out in 2014. Like, it was meant to come out earlier than that, but they, they asked him about it in 2014. They're like, why is it taking three years? And he's like, business. He just said, business side. He's like, I just had to try and stay in the game. The business is, has held me back. And I, I truly do think that it was. You know, if you look at the difference between Section 80 and Follow Me Home, Section 80 is mostly produced by Soundwave and Tay Beast. And we've got BJ the Chicago Kid is the only feature that I would say, you know, we've got Absol, we've got Q, we've got GLC on here. But like apart from that, you know, but you look at Follow Me Home, Chris Brown, Tech 9 Chris Calico, uh, Rick Ross, BJ the Chicago Kid, Little Wayne, Will I Am, Cool and Dre producing Justice League, Terrace Martin. You know, it's a it's a different vibe. It's a different energy. They they really thought that he would get picked up by a major after this, and it's pretty clear that this didn't mm. do well enough for a major to pick him up. And so, obviously, we had to wait X amount of years to get the album when he probably didn't want to wait that long, which means that you know it pushed his whole release schedule back. It's it's just a it's a mess, man. And that's what I don't like about this whole major label thing it just really frustrates me it's like it was it was almost like they're like all right we'll, we'll show us how good you can do independently as a socially conscious artist and they're like eh, no nah, that's not good enough that's not good enough so we're not going to go with that and um i genuinely think that's why no one speaks about 90059 as much i don't think it has anything to do with social media presence i just think it wasn't in our face as much it just wasn't promoted to us as much it was almost like 90059 was uh it was an afterthought in the conversation back then i remember when it dropped and like i didn't even know kendrick before good kid mad city i did not know kendrick before that and i'd heard adhd but i did not know he had like anything other than that i didn't know he had a body of work i didn't know he had multiple bodies of work i didn't know where he was but I knew about Good Kid Mad City dropping. I knew it and I listened to it the day it released. I remember I was working. I was driving a promotional car for the, the company I was working for. And I listened to it like eight times in a row. But I didn't know 90059 was coming out. 
I didn't know Follow Me Home was coming out. I didn't know because there was no major label behind it. And I think that that was the problem with J-Rock's career is he got hamstrung by that. And unfortunately, by the time we got to Redemption, when he was finally on uh, Interscope, I think he was on with that album, I just, you know, it was at this point, like, I, I don't know what happens to his career. I don't know where it goes from here. You know, I does he continue to make these great projects and just kind of like, do 20k first week 15k first week or is he going to push into the schoolboy q lane where he starts doing 40 to 50 to 60 to 70 i think it depends on the label now at this point and tde are a fascinating label man they are so fucking fascinating because i just don't understand them like 95 percent of the time i just don't understand it like to have an artist like j-rock it seems like they just they diverted their attention from J-Rock into Kendrick after Follow Me Home. It genuinely feels that way. Section 80, ADHD, they're like, all right, so that's okay. That's kind of blown up. So now we're going to go for Good Kid, Mad City. And it's kind of like the way that J-Rock says he didn't put out an album because of the business says to me, all right, so he was put on the back burner while they focused all their attention on Kendrick. TDE is fascinating, man. What a fascinating label. I um, they They have probably... Pound for pound, the best uh, roster in hip-hop history. I'm not going to fucking pull punches with that. In in hip-hop and R&B history, like, you know, obviously mm-hmm. they've got Scissor as well. And, uh, yeah, man, what a what a fascinating label. But what an interesting career and what a fucking great album 90059 still is to this day. On the label front and how you were saying, you know, how they, pr- you know, most likely, you know, shifted focus literally onto Kendrick. It makes me wonder, like, how the fuck did Motown, like, how did that even do it? How did they even do that? Like, Motown had, like, ten, like, I'm saying this very, you know, um, abstractly, but, like, ten Kendricks, if you know what I mean. Like, they had ten, like, and... I'm saying that in a generous way. There's probably way more than that. Mm-hmm. Like, generational talents. You know what I mean? Stevie, Diana, Marvin. That's three right there. That's three generational talents right there. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like Smokey Robinson, David Ruffin. Like, that's fucking crazy. And I just wonder, and this is kind of a rhetorical, but you can answer if you want, respond to it if you want, but I just find it so weird that labels can't, uh, labels these days can't, uh, make several uh, se- several generational talents if that makes any sense you know what i mean like j-rock could j-rock really is good q is good scissor is good kendrick is obviously great right i just don't see why there's such a why there's like has to be a shift of focus like it, do- it doesn't make sense to me and if they were still an independent label, then I'd understand in some way. But they're not. They have they have Interscope right behind them. So I don't. Well, I, I, I mean, don't, I don't understand. I don't want to. I'll pull that up because I, I don't think that they're they're not a subsidiary a subsidiary of Interscope. They're a totally independent label. Um, <sighs> their their artists have just signed different deals with different labels. I don't think Zaira Shad is even on a label. Uh, I don't think any of his projects have come out on Interscope. Um, Zakar- okay. Zachariah, no. Sir, no. Cut so weirdly. It's like, oh, so it's it's a little bit confusing. Reason, no. That's all. These are all independent. Reason stuff is all independent. 
So um, Control came out on RCA, so that's not even uh, yeah, yeah. Interscope. Cool, yeah. So it's it's all over the place. They're still an independent label. <sighs> they just they're individual Jesus artists have signed individual deals with individual major labels. <laughs> it's all right, well, fuck you know, fuck yeah, fuck. <laughs> all right, scratch all that, but still, I still feel like uh, uh, Motown just does it did it in some way that yeah I don't understand. But anyway. We can leave it that if you want. Uh, if I, have, I have nothing uh, much on well, my front. Yeah, I'm happy to leave it at that. But like, I'll just also throw Def Jam into that. I mean, Def Jam obviously yeah, now yeah, yeah, yeah. we don't we yeah. don't fuck with Def Jam now. But like back in the day, like they <laughs> they yeah, managed yeah. it, man. They managed it. They were an independent label, and yeah. so uh, TDE. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We don't get enough information out of them to know really yeah, what yeah, what's going yeah. on. You know what I mean? Like if they if yeah. they if they if they gave out statements of intent and let us understand what they're doing, uh-huh. then I'm sure uh-huh. we would have more information and we would be better placed to make a judgment. But I got no idea what's going on over there. Like it's so Kendrick not dropping an album in four years. Like Zyra Shad not dropping Absol's longer. Absol's coming up on this is his fifth year now that he hasn't dropped a project. Like Scissors Control is still in the Billboard 200. It has never left 200 weeks it's been in the Billboard 200. That's her last project. 200 weeks ago, she dropped the project and she hasn't dropped one since. It's just I don't get it. But hey man, I don't know. That's why we can't make any any <laughs> we can't make any judgment because we don't know what the hell is going on. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, every, that's, that's the most annoying thing about it. Like everything we say is literally speculation. Yeah, thousand percent. Fucking jargon. This could all be. But anyway, <laughs> shall leave it there. <laughs> and I'll put to a lighter note if you have anything. Ben. Uh yeah. I'm so I'm starting this interview series. I'm starting this interview series, and I interviewed. Brick a couple of weeks ago, and I interviewed the Lion uh, on Thursday. I'm interviewing Ben Bill tomorrow, Del Nelson on Thursday. So I don't know when I'm going to drop these, but um, I'm pretty keen, man. I'm pretty keen. Charlie's Charlie's a great interviewer, and I'm trying to like listen to your Uh-oh. your interviews and because I'm bad. You know, when you start something new, it's you know it's this is a learning curve. It's a learning curve, and. I'm okay if the other person is, you know, if we're just chatting about stuff. But if I'm actually interviewing, I'm not that great. So I need to learn. But um, I'm keen for this shit, man. Because the reason I want to do this, I'll explain why, is because, you know, the Lion said to me, you're the only major label, the only major outlet who uh, messes with me, who fucks with me. And I was like, that's crazy. He's 20 million Spotify plays. He has a, nearly 200,000 monthly listens on Spotify. No one's fucking with him i'm looking for stuff on ben bill on the internet i can't find anything i can't find any interviews i can't find any bios i can't find anything it's like the guy's got like 70 80 million spotify plays and there's there's nothing out there on him you know so it's almost like it is that whole press cycle of uh, look i don't want to say that outlets get paid to do interviews but i don't know man i don't know because they're not they're certainly not interviewing these artists and they're interviewing anyone who's remotely major. So um, I'm starting to think there's a little bit of dodginess going on there. But I don't know. I can't. I can't prove that. But I just want to. I just want to interview people and chat about music and chat about just what it's like to make music in the present day because it's it's very it's interesting. It's a completely different landscape than it used to be back in the day. And we've had some really crazy conversations so far. So um, I'm mad keen to keep doing this. I'm actually really motivated to do it at the moment, which is good. Uh, well appreciate you 
gassing me up but i i i've purposefully uh done my interviews in a way and uh that it doesn't doesn't uh require much prep for it if that makes any sense like i the people i've interviewed so far like have been people that you know in in your same way that the only interviews they may have had is like maybe local interviews or whatever like it's just people that um are you know doing their things they're on the come up i feel and uh even with that like you know i've, in, I've interviewed a olympic gold medalist and you know she's obviously she's in some ways like she's had plenty of interviews where you know you can get in you, you can talk about her stuff but um yeah i i, I just like the interviews that um just get to know a person you know what i mean and uh, uh i i haven't p I, uh, ben has not given me an ex- uh, express preview of uh, what he's done so far uh, i am looking forward to it um because my editing is shit house <laughs> uh yeah, uh, and Ben's editing guys. Ben's editing them. That's that's gonna be fin- that's gonna be interesting. I I don't want to see your project. Cause I, I don't even want to look at it. Like, just, oh, it's a mess. It could be so many. Yeah, I can imagine. Ugh. You know, Ugh. yeah. Ugh. Well, you know what I also want to talk about today is this Super League shit. I just read about it. What the fuck is this? <laughs> what the hell okay. is this, man, bro? I don't yeah, get. So, uh, say, <laughs> explain. I don't. Okay, so 12 European clubs, uh, uh, such as, you know, the, the the ones you can name, you know what I mean, and, and Tottenham. Um, are, relax, uh, dig, dig, dig. just relax. <laughs> we still got Harry Kane, man, just relax. Are <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, forming their own uh, uh, kind of like a Champions League adjacent uh, kind of league. Um, actually, let me get up a Chelsea statement because they actually put in a very... Uh, interesting way um because yeah and and people are not liking it because obviously as you can imagine these clubs are very uh they have a lot of money behind them and uh that's kind of the point here like put it simply me and ryan are going to talk about it on what's good next week <clears throat> so i'm looking forward to that oh, okay uh, cool he has he has a lot of thoughts <laughs> towards it he's already written about something like this but anyway competition really? format goes like this we're actually um uh, so it's uh, 20 participating clubs with 15 founding clubs and a qualifying mechanism for a further five teams to qualify annually based on achievements in the prior season. Midweek features with all participating clubs continuing to compete in their respective national leagues. And obviously that's in the that's in the air considering of how uh, UEFA, FIFA and, you know, separate leagues or have responded to them. Uh, I think Premier League said, like, we'll send you to the fucking doldrums if you do this. Uh, and UEFA said, like... Uh, if people on those teams, um, they may not be able to do national team like mm-hmm. work. So that'll be that'll be very a very fascinating World Cup next year if like uh, you know England don't have Trent Alexander Arnold, uh, K Mount, like all of them guys. I fucking know. I imagine that they, all of them were just gone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that'd be crazy. Uh, anyway, uh, preserving the traditional destiny match calendar, which remains at the heart of the club game, an August style of clubs participating in two groups of 10 uh, playing home and away fixtures with top, with top three in each group all make a qualifying for quarterfinals team finishing fourth and fifth for their competing a two-legged playoff for the remaining quarterfinal positions a two-leg knockout format will be used to reach the final at the end of may which will be stayed a single fixture and a neutral venue which 
basically gives Champions League vibes. And uh, as you can imagine, going over UEFA's head on that front uh, will piss them off. Um, so yeah, everyone's responded. Uh, everyone who's everyone has responded to this. Uh, mostly negative. And uh, yeah, it's... <laughs> It's 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 fascinating, honestly. I'm actually very, I'm actually very fascinated on this. I might hit up my dad tomorrow to see how he feels about it, <laughs> just for the, just for the vibes, because I would just go, I just, I, just, I don't know. It's um, it's crazy. Like uh, I mean, I mean, guys, we do this on FIFA anyway, right? Like you know, you, you can do those FIFA tournaments. So I feel like this is what it is. Uh, where you just pick all the five star clubs and just put them in. But uh, the fact that they're actually doing it is. Yeah, very, very interesting. It's, it's, it's very, fucking. Very interesting. It, what it is is absolute bullshit. Like it's an absolute travesty. I, I'm, I'm really disappointed. It's, it's just like, it, it, I don't know. You're just completely selling out any kind of integrity you had to engage in this behavior. It's just elitist. It's just absolutely ridiculous because the the fact that you're playing in these uh, divisions in the first place brings a, a load of money to you to lower clubs. Like when uh, Tottenham played Marine in the FA Cup, they made so much money off that. Those players, like that, was a once in a lifetime opportunity for them, and they were absolutely stoked. It was a really lovely story. And you're just gonna be like, nah, man, nah, man, nah, nah. I saw enough money. Fuck that. It's just like it's the it's the total distillation of capitalism in sport it's that's what it is it's just i hate it it's really gross i don't like it at all i think it's really really uncool to do and i think it really shows where the heads of these chairmen are at i'm not putting this on the players at all at this point because who knows if they were even consulted about this i don't know i'm sure that there are going to be legal discussions that they're going to have to have contracts i don't see any way that this is going to happen in the first place so if it's not going to happen, then why the hell have you even gone down this path? It's just a silly, really silly thing. I, I don't see any way this can happen. I, I genuinely don't see it. Maybe they're thinking it's going to be one of those things where the first three or four years, they're going to be really chastised, but the money will come because they're going to have the best players in the world. And eventually, you know, national teams will have to uh, kind of give in and have to like start picking these players again because maybe no one's going to be watching the world cup maybe world cup numbers are going to go down like that it's obviously a real power play they've got the the really strong powerful people on their side and they're trying to strong arm the rest and i'm not a big fan of fifa don't get me wrong you know no one is no one's saying fifa is the the bastion of integrity but at the same time, like the way that these these competitions are structured, it's so beautiful sometimes when you see some of these teams. Like you see the way Leeds are going. Norwich just got promoted. You know, you want to see Norwich play again. You want to see Leeds beat Man City. That's fucking cool. That is a cool game to watch. Because you know, like these these championship teams, if I'm gonna use um England English football, for example, championship competitions go like eight games more they're incredibly incredibly difficult they're playing a lot of games a week and they're very intense very focused and so when you get these championships teams come up and they're fighting for relegation they're taking points off the top four it's really exciting it creates really exciting and it creates superstars and so even if you were looking at this from a from a perspective of oh well the best players will be over there that's okay where are the next best players going to come from? Are they just going to come through the youth academies of these, you know, 12, 20 clubs or whatever? Because a lot of these players are coming from different clubs. They're coming from different places. And, you know, Bale started at Tottenham. Tottenham wouldn't have been 
involved in this competition in 2009, 2010. They wouldn't have been part of it. Bale came up through Tottenham and he ended up being one of the best players. And he's at Real Madrid. He won like however many titles, scored however many goals. Modric came up through Dynamo Zagreb. Like, come on, man. Dynamo Zagreb aren't in in this. Uh, it's just... Uh, the whole thing is just flawed in so many ways. And I'm okay if it's just like a theory that's being floated by a couple of pundits. It's like, yeah, maybe. But this is Juventus's boss is pushing this shit. They've actually had months of talks about this behind closed doors. They are really, really intense on this. And I just, I think it's mad disrespectful, man. I, I need to read more about it. I need to hear more opinions about it. But my first response is nah nah that's not it it's it just feels like a massive money grab and, and that really disappoints me especially from tottenham especially from tottenham you know it's like we're not we're not we're not meant to be that kind of club we're not that kind of club we're not the the get taken over by a russian multi-billionaire and and buy every great player we're we're a we're an organic club we we're meant to be a top four club the only top four club that's untouched by all this shit but then you've you've just thrown us in the ring and now i kind of know what goes on behind the scenes i know what kind of conversations you're having i know what kind of kind of thoughts you're having and it's not about the fans it's not about the the competition it's it's about the money and that's so sad man i hate that feeling it's disappointing now i'm genuinely disappointed yeah so uh three of the top seven uh uk trends on twitter right now number two is hashtag european super league number four is fsg out which is uh, liverpool centric and the seventh and the seventh one is RIP football. <laughs> so, on that note, uh, we can leave it there. And also, as a you know, as a, just a um, coverall basis, uh, RIP Black Rob, uh, DJ Fifty One uh, yesterday. Uh, obviously, a bad boy a linchpin uh, around that time. Uh, obviously, featuring in a you know multiple tracks and has uh, several albums himself. Uh, Noted storyteller. Um, so yeah, just wanted to say that off the end of this. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, it's been Digit Digits. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. I have been Charlie Taylor of the Fifth Element. We've been Carter of Hip Hop Numbers. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Have I said that already? We hope you no. all have a good week. <laughs> hope you all have a good week. <laughs> we shall always try to do the same, but until the next time, take it easy. Amazing job. Ah, peace. Digging in the Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show was edited by me. Music for the show is piece of video games by bonus points. Place the trail crackers for the ability to use. Socials for the fifth element. Hip hop by numbers, bonus points, and job breakers will be in the full show notes wherever you're listening. Here's a bit of Fifth Element Podcast and production. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time. I'm digging in the digits.